What's up, everybody? Welcome back to TMT Time, a podcast put on by the Technology, Media, and Telecommunications Group here at Arlen Porter. I'm your host, Evan Rothstein. Today, I have a first-time ever co-host, former guest, Yosh Eisbart. Yosh, what's up, man? Welcome to be my co-host on this edition of the TMT Time podcast. Giddy up, Evan. Let's get after it. And we have a third person on today's podcast, the actual guest, the former CIO of the state of Colorado. That, of course, is Eric Matizic. Eric, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much, Evan. Uh, really excited to be here with you and Yosh and uh, just having an awesome, awesome chat. All right, Yosh, why don't you get us kicked off? And Eric, why don't you first tell us a little bit about yourself, CIO. You are now the CEO of High Wing, which is a startup. You are one of the few startup gurus, the startup gurus in the state of Colorado, of course, because you started up Startup Week Colorado or Startup Week Denver. So there are a few people that know more about the scene here in Colorado, but startups in general. So Eric, with that uh, introduction, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure, Evan. Appreciate that. Uh, first and foremost, I would say that uh, those of us in Colorado know that there's not any one person that, that builds much of anything. It's a huge collective effort by just awesome founders, awesome investors, amazing community leaders. And I've felt blessed over the last you know 15 years to be really part of an amazing growth movement in Colorado as we've really emerged as the innovation hub between the coasts. Um, my Colorado start, story uh, starts at birth, uh, born, raised, never left, um, never filed uh, in income taxes or had an address outside the state. Um, uh, my, my undergrad is here. Um, all the companies I've been part of are here. I've been in the Denver startup community since uh, 1999. Um, I've been through all the ups and downs uh, three plus times and um, have just seen some amazing companies and, and, and uh uh, organizations built over that course of time. Most importantly, <clears throat> I'm a founder's founder. Um, I love helping uh, founders with uh, big audacious goals and big dreams, try to figure out how they can you know, create value through building their business and building amazing teams. And I've been fortunate enough to um, be part of five companies from inception, uh, always as a founder or working for founders. So my entire orientation towards building businesses is from the cockpit. So uh, that's a little about me um, and my current project is High Wing. Uh, we're reinventing a kind of 200 year old insurance industry trying to take uh, email, which was invented in the early 90s uh, out of the equation, which somehow still used heavily uh, for commercial transactions in the uh, insurance industry. And um, we're, on a, we're on a quest to build a platform to make it easy to connect markets uh, carriers and insureds to buy insurance faster. That's awesome, Eric. And, and thank you so much for, for taking the time out of your wackadoo schedule to, to spend time with us. Uh, not only, uh, do I consider you a friend and, and, uh, and a mentor, but I really believe strongly, uh, that you truly embody what Colorado startup world and the ethos of who we are and what we do and how we collaborate and how we're different. Um, uh, you really embody that. So with, with that, you know, I'd love to hear from you. I mean, you've, you, you chief innovation officer for Governor Hickenlooper and now Senator Hickenlooper. You started Denver Startup Week uh, with Tammy. Um, you've been through multiple startups right now. You're, you're grinding it out and, and you just raised as well with high wing. Um, I mean, out of control, everybody knows you. I mean, you're, you're kind of the Pied Piper of, of, of Colorado IT. 
Um, what do you think is really the the difference or or the the DNA of the Colorado IT scene versus maybe other locales? I think Colorado's always been deeply rooted in uh, our Western heritage. Uh, Coors Brewing Company uh, in the early you know early on in the, in the 1900s. Uh, when you think about like the big telecom boom uh, that really centered Colorado on the map. When you think about the oil and gas boom, I mean, we've had these ups and downs with really big industries over the course of our time. And in the last 20 years, the story's really been around technology and innovation. And most recently, uh, just large scale, you know, software companies um, building really big presence here in our state. But I think the story um, around our, our community that's different um, is that, you know, when you're uh, always trying to catch up to first place, I think there's just a much more collaborative and communal effort in the way that we compete and the way that we engage with you know, our fellow founders and our fellow leaders here in the community and uh, everything we've done is side by side, shoulder to shoulder uh, to build a great community, which in fact builds great businesses, which in fact, you know, builds great investment companies. And I think there's just a lot of cheerleading of a lot of pats on backs and a lot of shoulder to shoulder work. And I think, you know, Colorado uh, leaves the ego at the door in most everything that we do. I think that, you know, as, as we continue to grow, it's really important for us to keep an eye on that, you know, communal uh, generosity, you know, spirited engagement of how we uh, treat one another and build businesses in our community. And I think that really defines us. So let me ask you a follow-up question on that, Eric, because I've noticed there's been a lot of outside investment and outside investors coming into Colorado in large part because of the efforts of building the scene here. How do you interact or how do you talk to folks that are not from Colorado about that ethos that you're talking about, about joining and doing it together and building it uh, here rather than being competitive with one another? It's a really interesting question. I think over the course of the last couple of years, um, I definitely have felt different things happening in the community. And it's always been easiest for me to understand like those who are motivated by uh, intrinsic motivators. So things that are you know, very much uh, you know, um, selfless versus extrinsically motivated, which are very much focused on uh, self or you know self-interest. And I think um, it's really easy to start to sort out the two. And I think, you know, as you grow, um, like, of course, you're going to have interactions with things that become more transactional uh, than authentic. And I think uh, for those of us who have been here, and I think for the founders that um, really drive and, and work to build companies here, I think it's a really big competitive advantage to keep that ethos alive. I think uh, our employees and our company certainly feel the generosity and the authenticity and the transparency and the way that we work uh, shoulder and shoulder to build high wing. And I would say the same about the amazing companies like Guild Education or Ibotta or Evolve Vacation Rental. Like I know all those CEOs personally, and you know they spend more time helping and giving things away to make sure that their company is successful in the broader community than they do building it for themselves. And I think it's been a huge competitive advantage to their growth. And I just think that we've got to hold tight to it. You know what? That made me think of something. One, you spoke to my leadership Denver class when you were the CIO for, for Hick. So that's actually now I, I'm remembering that after hearing you answer that question. But two, this Workplace Act in Colorado that pulled a sign into law about uh, posting you know, this equality of pay and posting the salaries on job postings. There's an article in the journal last week or two weeks ago saying that there are companies, that non-Colorado companies, that are purposely not recruiting here because of the fact that they'd have to post the salary ranges. I'd be interested in getting your thoughts on how that's impacting the business community here and just your thoughts on that overall. I think 
in the in the technology community, I think especially in, especially in software engineering and product, I think uh, there's been a trend over time to have a lot of transparency in the leveling as it relates to those those types of operations. And so, I don't think it's very I don't think it's foreign uh, to a lot of technology and engineering related businesses. I do think that um, when you apply some of that thinking outside of a innovation or a technology economy, and you apply it to oil and gas, or you apply it to the nonprofit sector, and you apply it to a bunch of other areas, I think. Uh, it's a new way and a new concept of doing business. And I think, you know, the, the, the vision around that was really um, around uh, equality. It's really around access. Um, it's really around uh, the ability to, to drive transparency. Um, and most importantly, um, as people are moving, um, you know, between jobs um, to make sure that it's, it's that there's not a lot of discrimination around that work. And so I think the, the overall activity and the, the bill itself has incredibly good intentions. Um, as it relates to growing an equitable and accessible and unified workforce, I think that's incredible. But I just I, I do think there are certain companies that prefer to keep uh, some of their recruiting processes and the way that they um, add add team members to their teams um, a little bit more private. And I think so. I think you're going to see this tug and pull as as Colorado um, starts to you know, really deploy this. And I think you'll see other states, especially those that have deep technology and innovation economies, you know, likely start to explore the same things because I think. You know, it's good to you know, it's good to know that um, regardless of your gender or, or uh, you know, ethnicity, your background, that you can be measured on skills. And I think that's the big breakthrough: is that how do we start to move the economy from paying people for the skills and the value of their work uh, versus ver- versus other attributes that can influence the way that we may or may not pay them? And so, again, super super good intentions. I think we're really early, and I think it's just one to watch to see how the economy and how the community reacts to it. Shifting topics a little bit, I mean, truly, Eric, folks know you within the IT community and definitely as a leader throughout uh, the years of the different positions you've held and the businesses you've grown and yeah, being the, the CEO of CTA, the Colorado uh, Technology Association um, uh, as well. I think many folks, specifically within the startup scene, see you as Mr. Startup. They see you as uh, Denver startup and 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 with the Denver Startup Week, for those people that have been under a rock uh, for uh, the last several years, can you give uh, an overview of of Denver Startup Week, what it is, what it's meant to be, and then perhaps how it's changed uh, since it first started? For sure. So this year is our tenth uh, anniversary of starting Denver Startup Week in two thousand and eleven. And uh, this year, we're really, really excited um, to bring together um, not just the front range community, but, you know, globally entrepreneurs that want to learn about how to build the best small businesses they can through, you know, uh, collective learning and, and uh, thought leadership and sharing of skills, you know, pr- predominantly virtual, but we'll start to do some more in-person work. For those who don't know much about Denver Startup Week, <clears throat> it was started in 2011 at the time with the vision of really starting to amplify the voice of Colorado and Denver's innovation story specifically telling the stories of entrepreneurs and founders that were building companies in Denver, most importantly, uh, showcasing Denver as a place to become the innovation and technology hub of the future, and then uh, always being built around the direct needs of founders and those that are actually building companies in our, in our, in our, in our great state. And so fast forward 10 years, uh, minus the pandemic, <clears throat> last in-person event we had, it's the largest free entrepreneurial event uh, in the world. We have 20 plus thousand people that attend online and, and in person. Um, we usually hover between three to 400 sessions over a five-day period, and the event itself is 100% free. So the intent is that 
it's accessible to anyone around the world that wants to build great companies, uh, really steward by the leadership and the founders here in our community that are telling the story of building businesses here. And so uh, excited for 2021, excited for our 10 year anniversary. And uh, I think this year you'll see a lot more things starting to tell the, ver to the story of um, the uh, inclusivity, um, the diversity story of our city, the way that we uh, are able to build and effectively scale companies across all sectors outside of technology and small business. And uh, we're really excited to see what's going to happen here uh, in October. Um, so, Eric, you know, on the, on the Denver Startup Weekend, a follow up for that, outside of scale, and um, relevance um, in in the greater startup world. What have, what what changes have you seen? Have you seen that um, you know pre pandemic that with um, you know the coasts uh, trying to find a more um, attractive place to live, and 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 Denver or Colorado being. Uh, one of those meccas. Have you seen the the DNA change? Have you seen the energy change around kind of what a startup means within Colorado? I think uh, innovation ecosystems always evolve over time. And I think that what you're known for in one chapter, and I, I go AKA uh, back in 2011 and 12, uh, the seismic activity was at um, Rally Software at the time. Um, and a company called SendGrid uh, that had just been recently recently funded had made this major decision to move out of Boulder to actually put their headquarters in Denver, Colorado. And people were like, oh, my gosh, what? this is so big. Two Boulder companies moved to Denver like the world is changing. My mind's blown. And, and we would always reference the last IPO uh, in 2011 was like in the late 90s, um, you know, a, a company. Uh, that that, that um, had been built in the accounting software space, J.D. Edwards, that was just like the story of Colorado in the world of technology and software that was bought by PeopleSoft. You probably know it well from your perspective, Yosh. But that was the story of IPOs, growth and innovation in software in Colorado for a decade. And so you fast forward to 2021. Uh, we had two IPOs last week, uh, Inspirato and EverCommerce. Uh, you know, uh, we've got a bunch of IPOs that are, in, you know, kind of uh, in the chamber. We've got a bunch of IPOs that have happened over the course of the last year. So you see this massive velocity of, of companies and growing to scale. So um, I would say that what the community needed a decade ago is dynastically different of what it needs today. Um, the, one, the one thing that uh, I'm, I'm closely watching and just trying to understand is that both as a CEO and as a community leader, um, talent is everything in building businesses. So like you cannot build great companies without amazing human beings. And the biggest competitive advantage we had for a long time was when you're you know, 40 to 50% the cost of living difference between downtown San Francisco or New York, um, you, can, you can live in Colorado for three to five years and you can buy your first home. Um, you, know, you, you have all these abilities to like, uh, you know, ride public transit or commute within 15 or 20 minutes. Like those are the pieces that I'm watching really closely as we emerge from the pandemic, because you know, with the, uh, incredible run-up in real estate and a lot of companies placing a lot of their employees here or their employees moving here and still working for those companies, it's really hard to tell what the impact is a year from now because uh, it's obvious that uh, you know single-time home buyers in Colorado, it's an entirely different landscape. It's obvious that um, the ability to hire talent at an arbitrage in Denver, Colorado versus five years ago or seven years ago I think it's a parody of San Francisco and New York. Like, so like, I just feel it as a, as a CEO that it's, it's like, there's not a lot of economies or scale or arbitrage around the things that made us really, really, really popular. And uh, I'm, I'm really curious to see how that settles out 
and how those other ecosystems either go up in value to still hold that kind of competitive advantage, or if we start to slide into one of the top two, three, five innovation centers in the, in, in the United States. And so that's the, that's the big thing I think over the next year and two years, you'll start to start to see the impact of. That's actually a good point because we used to have, you know, we were a second tier market, if you will, to Silicon Valley or in the rest in Virginia area or Boston maybe. And we had affordable housing, I just read this morning that the average sale price in the Denver area for homes was over $700,000, uh, which is like almost double what it was probably when you were talking about when Rally Software and JD Edwards ruled the land. So it was probably like, it was probably like 235, 240. Yeah. And then like over the course of the last five, you know, six, five, six years, it kind of crested 500. And then the last year it went up to 745. So yeah, I mean, homing, uh, the home values have tripled. Uh, median home prices in Denver have tripled in a decade, which it's time these things happen, but it's, it's, it's a very different economy when, you know, salaries have for engineers have not tripled in that same period of time. Yeah. Yeah. I, I say this all the time, like the, the salaries and the income has not increased locally as fast as the prices of real estate and even consumer goods. I mean, it's pretty yep. nuts. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's going to be the story. I mean, the next couple of years, I think we'll figure it out and we'll kind of see the impacts of it, but I'm hoping that, um, you know, as, as things settle, that there'll be some silver lining in the in the way that these things all all uh, all set to settle out, and that we're st we still have some of those competitive advantages that allow us to, to to be that incredible place to build a business, an incredible place to build a family, and and an incredible place to you know to to build your asset base and your life. So I'm 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 hopeful that that's all intact. Well, both of you are currently building businesses in Colorado, uh, Eric. You just I saw in the last six months have gotten a seed round, and you know, sure on the process and the path to doing so. So what are your collective, both of you pitches sort of to potential employees or people from out of state that wanna move here? What are the benefits today, given the changing landscape that Eric, that you just mentioned with pricing and competitive loss of some of those competitive advantages that it may have existed a couple of years ago? I, I can talk on specifically on behalf of Highwing first. I it's been interesting for us you know, going into the pandemic. We had, you know, a 12 person office in downtown Denver and we got together every day and we had a couple of employees that, you know, did some did some uh, recreational uh, work from home, uh, you know, prior to call it March of 2019. Um, uh, sorry, 2020. And then when I, when I look you know, today, uh, we, we've just recently made the, the, uh, the decision to be a uh, company that has a headquarters in the cloud. Um, we have given our employees the, you know, the full capacity and, and uh, discretion to figure out how they work and, and where they work. Uh, and as long as that, you know, they were able to produce uh, and engage and uh, be part of the business, I think it's, it's allowed us to invite, you know, uh, I've been saying employee, employees from uh, Portland, Oregon to Portland, Maine, and uh, we've got employees in and around both and everywhere in between. And so, you know, what was a very Denver-centric uh, company um, we've become a, a national, um, you know, person, a, a twenty-person business that has employees around the United States, and so um, we've tried to take advantage of areas where we've got the opportunity to to allow people to stay where they are with great skills and participate in our company. And you know, we'll see as again as as the pandemic starts to starts to wane and the the, the economy starts to settle, we'll we'll kind of see what we what we do. But I, I don't think that we're going to move away uh, from a distributed strategy for a long time. And my, you know, my, my last company, Nimble, uh, we had, by the time that I left, we had over 300 employees. Uh, my old school mentality pre-pandemic was a butt in a seat. 
um, I was there uh, for the beginning of the pandemic and I left um, uh, before it ended. Uh, and we saw a tremendous productivity increase and it, it was a change of, uh, of, uh, of mentality for me in regards to uh, coming from the old school uh, perspective and, and saying that the remote distributed can work. In, in my new startup, um, and you know, Eric, we're, we're a couple steps behind you and um, uh, raising seed as we speak and our, our company's called Fulfilled. As you active listeners already know, um, you know, we are, we're, we're employing a hybrid method. And so um, we do hire folks uh, primarily from Colorado. Ironically enough though, or not, um, the folks wanna work uh, mostly remote. Uh, that being said, we feel that the office environment um, is one where you know, tremendous serendipity and creativity happens. Um, and there's a lot to be said about uh, discussion by the water cooler uh, versus over Zoom. So I think the, the expression is, is uh, productivity happens at the desk, creativity happens away from the desk. So I think our approach um, is we're gonna have an, a central office um, and uh, we'll wanna have folks in, in, in some capacity, but we're not gonna uh, mandate, uh, nor could we even mandate with the new way of working, uh, you know, a button a seat uh, five days a week. So I got another question for, I suppose, both of you, but Eric, mostly for you, since you brought up the pandemic and the sort of changing workforce. Uh, uh, one of Yosh and my favorite podcasters, Prof G, always talks about the uh, who won and who lost in the pandemic. The dog. Uh, yeah. And one of the big winners, he said, is startups. Uh, the amount of startup activity during the pandemic like far outstripped the previous year. And I just interesting, throw the question to both of you. Why do you think that is? Uh, and do you think the trend will continue? And will those companies that started up in during the pandemic, will they last? At the very beginning of the pandemic, um, there was a group of us that came together, uh, led by Brad Feld, to launch an organization called Energize Colorado. With the entire mission was to reach out, engage, and help the small business economy. Um, work through the challenges and the and the pitfalls of of the pandemic, and most importantly, be able to build programs and benefits that allowed them to recover to full strength. And what was really interesting is that throughout that process, I always said that entrepreneurship was the medicine for the economy. Like it was the the, the in a pandemic, the medicine for us to get better was to start things, was to build things, and some of those were nonprofits, and some of those were. Um, for profits, some of those you know, were new programs and organizations. Like there was just a map of folks starting things. And I think the interesting thing just around access, um, Seth Levine just recently wrote a new book um, called The New Builders. And it's really a discussion and story of the, the next chapter of America. And when you look at the next chapter of America, when you have um, broadband access that's becoming more ubiquitous across the U.S., um, you have software and the boundaries of understanding how to build software with low code and no code tools. And you have web platforms that easy, easy allow non-technology enabled um, humans to quickly be able to participate in the digital economy. It's no surprise that when you look at whether it's social media or e-commerce or building software companies, that there's been a tremendous amount of rise in activity because at the same time you've had 
you know, a lot of opportunity to build new things in the wake of, a, of, of um, uh, you know, an economic downturn or an economic challenge. You've also had the ability to build things with limited amounts of knowledge and skills it took to build the same things a decade ago and surely 20 years ago. And so I think as you have, you know, unified access around technology, broadband, participating in the economy with ideas that make it easy for people to participate, I think we're going to continue to see a lot of activity and growing business over the course of the next few years. The ones who I think lost um, and are still still recovering are service companies, our restaurants, our small businesses, our true, our dry cleaners, our liquor stores. Like if you run a small business in the state of Colorado, like uh, my heart goes out to you because I just think that um, in the sea of uh, the, in the sea of the downturn, it's been so hard to recover, even with um, you know all of the different uh, stimulus activities and, and PPP and all these things that were helped to, to, to help people get through it. It's just not enough. And so, uh, you know, I look at small business in every single way as a, as a state and as a community, we can continue to shop local, be local, engage local, help our small businesses, because those are the ones I feel that have had the biggest impact. And those of us in the digital economy have been able to stay at home with our computer and our cell phones and just kind of chug along. And so the inequity around digital access is real. And, and I think it's something we should all, you know, have a keen eye to. Piggybacking on that and in terms of, um, recommendations for uh, for young entrepreneurs, for for folks that want to do startups. What are some of the key ingredients, um, whether Denver specific or other, that you think uh, make the right DNA um, and the right opportunity for success? I think again, going back to Colorado and Denver specifically, I think when you have that idea or that thing that. Uh, allows you to spring out of bed with passion and heart that you just want to go solve for the world. Being in a place that's really receptive, providing feedback and engaging and talking through the ideas, uh, introducing to folks that can help you, investors, um, really vet the idea from a product perspective. Like, I always think that's like gold in the beginning of starting a business. Like, uh, I'm always looking for those who are saying no more than, more than those that are saying yes to really understand, you know, what the risks and pitfalls could be in starting something new. But I think from a resource perspective, like Colorado has become so rich in its access around those things. I think, you know, having Techstars having been born and built here in Colorado and being really the, 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 the sea change of um, incubators and investment around the world now, um, you've got a lot of those activities here in Colorado. Um, you know, when, you, when I look at the activities that are happening uh, in Colorado Springs, um, you know, there's an incredible uh, incubator uh, down there. There's uh, an incredible program uh, that's that's out of Fort Collins. There's multiple ones in Boulder. There's multiple ones in Denver. Uh, there's entrepreneurial hubs. So it's just like if you dip your toe in the water and you are in the search of resources and feedback to build something great, um, we've never been more rich and glutton in uh, the opportunity to provide entrepreneurs access to those things here in Denver. So if you're not in Colorado and you're you know in an engineering school or whatever, how is it that you can find people? like yourself, for example, to seek out mentors or guidance? Um, where do you go? Where do you refer people to? How do you get active and involved to get the advice or mentoring that you may need? Early stage, I think it's always really good to, to be in and around the universities. Uh, CU and DU and um, uh, CSU all have really great entrepreneurial programs that are, that are deeply involved, embedded in the community that connect students and connect the community and connect entrepreneurs back to those universities at scale. I think uh, I mentioned Techstars, um, as well as a bunch of the additional um, like coding academies, like Turing and Galvanize and others that I think are always a direct connect to connect the engineering community to the opportunity to, to build businesses. And then you still have, you know, uh, you know, incredible 
entrepreneurial groups like the Blackstone Entrepreneurship Network, which I, I know, Yosh, that uh, you're a member of and been really familiar with over the years, um, you know, as, as well as Denver Startup Week kind of being the hub on an annual basis, you know, both just being in the stream of that work, I think is really, really uh, opportunistic to be able to engage with folks. And then last, um, you know, we've got some really great platforms that, you know, tell the story of Colorado at scale, like Built in Colorado, that I think just kind of tells the story of all things that are happening here from an innovation perspective. And, you know, and uh, in Colorado, Inno, which is in partnership with the business journal here in, in the state and the combination of that one, two punch, there's not a lot that's that, that uh, gets left behind in terms of telling the story of the state. All right, Eric, we are getting close to running out of time. So I'd like to do some quick hitters at the end. But before I get to some of the so-called fluff, uh, we have a lot of lawyer listeners. How do you, or how can you translate some of your entrepreneurial spirit uh, to lawyers? Like, because a lot of us are very uh, introverted or boring, and we don't know anything beyond the law. Uh, and it's hard to get young lawyers engaged in getting out of, I guess, now the house at this point. Uh, but how, how, what are some like thoughts you would like to share with some of the young lawyers about why it's important to go out and get engaged either in the community or with the, an entrepreneurial spirit? Yeah, I'd be happy to share three. I think, you know, my, my business, Highwing, is really a story of lawyers could, could understand and, and, uh, and, and make sense of. And we're really solving a paper problem in insurance. Like in 2021, the fact that insurance companies have to send and receive applications and documentation over email that are in unstructured or like PDF formats to be able to process and buy insurance. It's mind blowing. And I think about my, my engagements with, you know, you know, my counsels it relates to the work that we do. And I find that a lot of the work uh, from a legal perspective is still on that same innovation curve. So I think identifying opportunities um, in the things that come across your desk, um, just realizing that there's software tools and there's things that allow you to impact change. And if you have that bug, uh, there's, it's easy to start to build software and tools to start to solve real problems within, within your own industry to even scratch your own itch. I think the second piece for me is that, you know, entrepreneurs really are telling the future story of our cities. And so I think as amazing service professionals that help entrepreneurs navigate uh, building companies, which is, you know, I always say entrepreneurship is a special kind of sport. Those of us who are entrepreneurs, like we know the language, we know the call signs, like we know all the elements that uh, are truly entrepreneurship. I think it's a competitive advantage for uh, lawyers to be able to un uh, understand entrepreneurship, understand business building, understand what it's like to be in the throes of an entrepreneur's um, you know, cockpit as it relates to building a business from scratch and just be able to be empathetic around that. I think it'll make you uh, better counselors. I think it'll make you better leaders. I think most importantly, uh, over time, it uh, will drive business. I think that um, entrepreneurs are always looking for the brightest minds to be able to help them through the most challenging opportunities and, and situations in business. And the more that, that uh, incredible lawyers engage with them, it's just natural to start to start to collaborate and, and, and work together and build those companies together. So I think there's nothing but upside uh, for the legal community to be involved in all things startup. And I hugely embrace um, you know firms like yours and a whole litany of other awesome ones here in Colorado that always step forward in, in helping build the community. And I just think, you know, those who take that forward step and really try to be generous with their time and their counsel and their expertise, it's going to come back tenfold to the, to the firms and the associates that engage in that. That's great. I, I love that. And I really appreciate the, your guidance on that. So, Eric, you gave us Seth Levine's The New Builder. What's another book you've read this summer that you would like to recommend to the listeners? Uh, <clears throat> most recently, um, again, another, another uh, awesome tech stars book 
Um, is a company is a, is a book called Levers uh, by Amos Schwartzwarb. Uh, awesome book. Um, really just breaks down kind of the components of how to really create repeatability and measurability in your business. Um, that one's absolutely awesome. Um, and uh, I'm trying to think what else. Those, 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 those are two I'd give. All right. What are you streaming on Netflix? Or one of the other ridiculous number of streaming services that we now have available to us. <laughs> I, I, this, this is an area that I would tell you that uh, I'm, I'm a little bit of a prehistoric dinosaur. Like uh, Netflix, uh, TV, sitting in front of video is something that I spend a very little amount of time on. Eric, stop lying. You're a gossip girl. You're I'm a gossip. not. I, 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 if, if, if truth be told, I would be like uh, uh, probably the, the king of Trash Truck, which is an animated series on Netflix that my five-year-old daughter loves to watch. And so I'm probably deep in, in children's animation. I'm probably deep in, uh, you know, all things Barbie. But outside of that, uh, I, I, my Netflix is, is, is pretty limited. All right. Last question. Where are you going on vacation this summer? A chance kind of right coming out of uh, the pandemic as things opened up here in, in May to spend a bunch of time at the beach. If there's anything to coming out of the, uh, the chapter that we just went through, uh, it's, you know, I think our family's deeply invested in, you know, shorter, higher frequency activities with those we care about the most. And uh, I would just say our, our, uh, our week and our summers are speckled with that. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you to your both. Maybe we'll get you back. Who knows? Carry on. Good luck with your book startup company, High Wing Fulfilled. I hope you guys achieve what you're going for.